Hello everyone, good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Hey, this is Aaron, I just wanted to do a quick PSA just to let you know that our podcast is actually looking for a new intro song. We're looking for about an original 30 second brass band composition. If you happen to be chosen, we'll invite you to be featured uh, as a guest on a bonus episode of the podcast, as well as you will get credit at the end of every podcast. So, if you're a composer or you're interested in maybe trying to compose for this, we have a, we have bands to record it. We just need the composition. So, if you're interested, please email uh, submissions to Amy at amyschumacherbliss at gmail. A M Y S C H U M A K E R B L I S S at gmail. And if you need that information, we you can also find it on our website newworldbrass.com. But yeah, we thought it would just be great to feature some brass band music in the beginning of our podcast and as the exit outro. Um, But as you can imagine, when I was putting this together initially, there's not a lot of just like brass band music on uh, free to use podcast music websites. So hopefully we can find a great submission for you guys. I'm looking forward to all of your submissions. And anyway, let's get on with the show. Amy, you have a new headset. What headset are you wearing? Or are you wearing a new one that I haven't seen before? I am wearing my husband's because I couldn't find mine. So not really a good reason. Uh, but we, we got back from Florida. And so some of our some of our stuff is still semi-packed. And so as I was running around like like crazy trying to grab everything before the podcast started, uh, I realized I had no clue where my my headphones were. And I saw my husband, so I was like, well, yoink, and uh, they're huge on me. It's like I have a rainbow over my head. Maybe I'm like a saint, oh. Um, <laughs> but they are huge, like over my head. Um, how were my, but hey, how'd it you, works. How'd you like my old stomping grounds? Yeah, it was cool. I mean, they definitely over-advertised. Uh, they made it seem like it was like this glamorous resort, but you know, every place does that. Uh, they had a They had an adult pool and they had an open bar and they had food that I didn't have to cook. It met all the requirements. Then. It met all the requirements. I I didn't have a problem with it. <laughs> oh, that's that's good. Well, I'm glad you got a vacation. I, we all needed that, a vacation of some sort. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Doesn't look like it was enough, was it? I just can't <laughs> believe that's just how small of a world that you went to. It was Club Med, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so you went to where I had senior prom. Yep. We we went my my husband and I when I was when we were dating, we went to Italy for the weekend and ran into one of his old high school classmates uh in Naples <laughs> at a bar. And my husband was like, Wait, is that the one so? And I was like, What? Yeah, I, when I went to the um the UK Nationals a couple of years ago. I sat in the um, in the Corey box in Royal Albert Hall with a certain group of people that were Corey fans that go to go follow them everywhere they go, and and was there with them all day, but talked to them and had some conversations with them. I didn't really get to know them very well because we were you know in between bands just chatting. And the next day on Sunday, I was somewhere in near Covent Garden, you know where the Lion King was and everything. And I just went to this Italian restaurant for, for dinner. And as I was leaving, I walked past this table and they were looking at me like they knew me. 
this group of people and I get outside the, and they're like, hey, hey. And I was like, I literally know no one in London. Why, why are these people? And it, it was a group of people that was watching the Cory band with me all day. And they just happened to the next day be at the same restaurant in random somewhere, London. I was like, this is so weird. I am literally know no one here. And then I run into somebody I actually might know. It was really strange. So, well, we're uh, we're doing this podcast with Helen Harrelson uh, from from the Fountain City Brass Band. Um, Helen, were you actually a founder of the Fountain City Brass Band, or were you just kicking Lee's pants to get him to do it? No, Lee founded the band, um, and then uh, I came over maybe about eight years later. We we were in contact when he founded the band um, uh, through those emails. I was back in Manchester. And that's kind of how we got connected. He was setting up the band and we met at the To Euphonium conference in Larty. And, uh, you know, back when email was a new thing and um, kind of uh, helped correspond. I was on the board um, right from when it was founded, but I was kind of overseas and, and helping from, from that aspect. So, yeah, um, I founded the youth the youth program is, is the, the angle that I founded, yeah. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about your journey to get from England to here? <laughs> uh, it's been lots of twists and turns. You know, um, I was studying at the Royal Northern College of Music and I was with Stephen Mead and he, um, he just, you know, these things happen. And um, he uh, was it's like, you know, I think um, you should go play um, at the 2B Volume Conference. And I think there's a spot on one of the concerts. I think you should go play. And so, I, uh, I got to go play solo with the symphony orchestra and got out there and, and that was my first two euphonium conference and met so many um, great new musicians. You know, I was very isolated in the world of brass bands before um, before doing that. I got to go to the college and I kind of my world expanded um, somewhat, but knowing the the vast um, community in America of two euphonium players and and just the resources and and the outlook over over here uh, and being exposed to that was great and so um, that's how we first uh, met and like I say we communicated and about literature the band was coming on tour things like that um, helping kind of set up some of that stuff and then um, got to be about gosh 2007 and I was doing a lot of work at Bolton Music Service and it was like a, a wider opportunities which is a different way of teaching music to what how they taught it before and it was very um, aligned to American um, band education so my boss said um, allowed me to come over and do a sabbatical in America along the same times that we were planning to start the youth program so I had a six-month sabbatical over in America studying how music was taught or band was taught in middle and, and high school and then use that time to work with the band uh, the adult band um, you know kind of push some ideas through there and sound concepts and then also get the youth band going um, and within six months I went back to my old job back in England you know it was just a little window a, a wonderful excursion when I was what, 27 28 and um, about three weeks after getting back, I got a phone call from Joe Parisi, who conducts the band and said, you know, there's a there's a school that's looking for a music instructor. It's a private school. Obviously, the um, the UK um, license doesn't apply to most um, well, certainly in Kansas to the public school setting. So um, he said they're looking for someone new to build a program if you wanted to keep going with the youth program, which I did. I, those six months were great, but it wasn't enough to 
really cement the foundation. I felt really strongly that there was a lot of great things happening in Kansas City. I just wanted a little more time. I thought, well, I'll go over and teach for a few years. I'll start this school band program off, see how we do, spend a few more years over, and then I'll pop back to England, you know, and um, and I'm still here like 12, 13 years later. So that's <laughs> how it ended up. Wow, that's that's pretty crazy. So you never really intended to stay in America, but but went back. What what band were you playing with when you took that sabbatical, that six month sabbatical? I've been with Foden's, I think maybe six years, six or seven years at the time. And I took the sabbatical um, for a time. And then obviously to be away that long for a band that's that, uh, that competitive, that, you know, um, busy, um, that made it hard. And so, so I'm coming back, uh, when I went back, I actually ended up going playing with YBS for a little while. And then I think I won their longest service member award for maybe five weeks that I was there or something and then came back to America. <laughs> so, you know, um, yeah. A whole five weeks with YBS, huh? I know. <laughs> I think it was a little more than that. I did the nationals with them or something, um, but it was it was good time. There's great great players there. Yeah, for sure. And then when you came back, you 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 started with that school, and then then that's when the real work for building the youth band program at the uh, at the for the Fountain City Band. Can you tell us about you know what it was like in the the beginnings of it? What are some of the challenges and some of the Easy, early successes that made the program just launch to what it is now. Oh yeah, well, um, it was a tough road. It was a real tough road. Anyone knows that they've built something from ground up um, and especially being in a different country and not having those resources or those contacts that you can just call up and go, hey, do you happen to have, or do you know, band room, those kind of things. So I was lucky with the job that I got that we were able to use their um, some of their space, but again, they didn't have, it was, new school they didn't have a load of uh, percussion things so and we were able to partner with a couple of area um the college at the um that the band uh, the adult band had a um association with mid-american nazarene and you know we we just tried to get kids out you know we played brass band music for them i know my husband will probably tell you a story about how he got hooked on it and just by listening to cds and maybe looking at some of the music you know some of those euphonium players that maybe or tuba players and all of a sudden you see something that's got like a ton of 16th notes in it or you know a euphonium bit that's solo and it's you know extended over it you know these kids are all right you know um and so we kind of got them going um we didn't have a traditional band set up to start with. It was um, trumpets, French horns when we first started. That's the way we went. We didn't have we didn't have any money. We didn't have anything really to set up. Um, we we did actually we did have a set of Packer tenor horns because I had um, remortgaged my house and got the money to buy some <laughs> some stuff. Uh, so. Um, yeah, so I definitely like a lot of people will put um, a lot of their own money and heart into founding some some of the things. Um, but I mean, they were basic sets of instruments to start with um, and got them shipped over from uh, from England. And yeah, we, we, we started with not much, just a lot of passion and a lot of, you know, desire and great kids. And it was small. And we kept on going. I was really adamant that having worked with teenagers for a long time, I didn't want them to read bass clef when we first started off. Uh, treble clef, sorry. I, I wanted to them to read bass clef when we first started off because a lot of the kids that we pitched the program at were kids that maybe when we first started needed access to some brass specialist lessons. You know, sometimes it's very easy for a tuba uh, or you find them to get stuck at the back of a band. Um, 
I hold myself accountable to this and you can't always hear if they're tonguing properly. Um, and so, or, you know, sometimes people can't afford the X amount of dollars for an hour lesson to fix something that might extend a whole range or breathing or so, um, so we made it um, kind of, we wanted to make it accessible really for, for people to play. Um, and so everything was pretty much transposed um, at that point. We, we weren't dealing with um, state players, you know, state honor roll players um, right, right near the beginning. It was, it was a real, um, just a great group of kids wanting to learn. Um, and then we started building and building. I can honestly say the biggest thing that we did for our, our, our program was um, we were very fortunate to get um, a donation um, uh, that was allowed us to go to the Great American Brass Band Festival. And up until that point, these kids were coming from their own schools. So, you know, there's the kind of school rivalry where they compete against other schools. Um, so when they came to be in this setting, they were kind of here for themselves because they wanted to do well. They wanted to play in a, you know, harder music. They wanted to improve, but they were there for themselves. And it wasn't until we took a trip that they all got to know each other a lot better. And then they started playing for each other. Um, and a lot of those kids on that first trip, it would have been, gosh, 2013, 20, uh, yeah, maybe 2013 we went. And a lot of those kids that were like seventh or eighth graders that maybe took that trip, we couldn't get rid of. Like they at 18, they aged out of our NABA age. And we're like, they're going to all our local universities. Why are we kicking them out of brass band? So we just said, well, we're not going to compete in the youth section. We're going to send the band up into the adult section because we've spent all these years of training with them. They weren't quite ready to join the adult band at that point. So because of the, you know, the, the, the gap um, with where, where those were so we just kept them around and we just up the age group uh, let's let's call it 21 oh well you're doing your masters you come back we've known you since your eighth grade go on principal you felt <laughs> and that's just how we kept on going really uh but uh, that that year that we went to brass uh, to the north american uh, brass band um festival that that is a turning point in in our story yeah that that's fascinating um i because i've had you know, with all the years I did with the Changri Brass Band, some of the same experiences, like you can, there are clearly defined moments where you, you can say, this is, this is where the band turned the corner. And one of the things that was every year we went on a trip, we either went to Naba or we went to something else. And every year the band bonded on that trip and came back better for it. And it made the next year's band even better. And it was a cycle like that. So we experienced the same thing. And then uh, 2002 in Cincinnati, when the brass band of Battle Creek played the gala concert at that NABA and the, the youth band heard that. And it, from then it was over. I didn't have to recruit after that because the kids were like, you got to do this. This is awesome. You know, so, you know, the, the clearly defined. We also did um, Great American in like 2003. And that was another, um, you know, another moment where the band was just like, we're hooked. And once you get them hooked, you really, you have them until yep. they graduate high school and, and and it's great that you know i don't know if a lot of people really realize where that you know that where that third section band came from but it really was a youth band that just kept going as the kids got older right yeah yeah it was uh, we just i just felt in my heart that these kids love it and i didn't have the heart to like say no we're not going to do it so we, we put them in that third section and 
and and it'll be different moving forward obviously build rebuilding programs again and and where those those sections align and things like that but yeah it's um and actually triangle i remember working with triangle my first year over 2007 and hearing the band play at nabra and and honestly that was one of the inspirational moments like hearing a band over here play was it Jake before i think you played um, and hearing a band like that i'm thinking this is possible this is possible to get this level of band over here so we kind of you know a lot of the stuff we we somewhat followed in in, in the band's footsteps kind of with our own little bit of a blueprint but you know there have been bands that have done it before yeah. So I have a logistic question then for because I seem to be in a room where I can take advantage of the situation that I'm in and, and being part of this podcast and ask these brilliant minds that we have. Um, so Tampa, we're thinking like that. This is a goal. Probably not this year because we're still like we're if we can get a full concert year out of this year, we'll be happy. But the following year, the goal is as the board our bands existed for all of three years one and a half of them has been in the plague um but the idea is to eventually start a youth band and um you know i went to jmu with kevin steve so you've got the mass and nut and brass the youth band right there too um but it sounds like uh the fountain city band it sounded like you guys kind of started with like correct instruments and stuff like that and i've also seen where people keep the band instruments just because it's easier initially does do you guys have an opinion of that one way or the other or just whatever you can get a hold of or what are y'all thinking when the program expanded we were to uh, when we were at our full full uh full capacity we were we were four ensembles in the youth band and so realistically the first two level programs they were stony band instrument because we're talking about you feeling comfortable on one instrument only. Like you get your embouchure sorted. Let's just know your instrument first, and then as as we start moving up, we'll start maybe putting in the second the second tier band that we had um, the because we had the, the junior band and then we had the the youth band. Maybe the principals in that band, the second tier, would be on cornets. We might try, might you know, a principal horn on a on a. Uh, on, on a tenor horn, things like that, um, to transition them ready for when they would move up to the next band. And because we didn't have, you know, tons of instruments lying around everywhere, but it was a good way of transitioning. Then the next two level bands at that point, uh, you know, we've been going for about 10 years and uh, we were able to kind of build up a stock of, uh, of instruments by that point um, to, to have, to have that. Uh, a lot of our kids ended up you know that have been in for a while some of them did buy their own instruments or you know um a couple of um high schools have cornets I, I hear that you know back in the 1950s and 60s that most people would start on those cornets um and um I did <laughs> a lot of them are just sitting in the band room waiting for someone to play some Granger or something like that you know <laughs> and they're not actually being used so you know that was um, maybe five years in, I, I figured this out. Uh, well, I didn't, someone told me about it. And, um, and I'm like, okay, I'll contact the band directors. And sure enough, when the kids email their band directors, like, oh yeah, we've got one, they can check it out. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's gonna save us a lot of money. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, then without playing on match set of instruments or anything like that, but they've got a cornet in their hand and they're, they're, you know, they're halfway there at that point, you know? Yeah, it's, you know, if you go back to the turn of the century, turn of the last century, like when bands were big here, concert bands, everybody played on cornets. The Caesar band was all cornets um, and they would have a couple of trumpets. And the interesting thing about the president, uh, the president's own Marine band now, they play on cornets. 
So they have six cornet players and two trumpet players in mm -hmm. the band. And there's a high school band here in town, Leesville Road High School, that has literally patterned their symphonic band after the Marine Band. So they wear the military type uniforms. They 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 own a set of cornets um, that they that they use. So anytime we get somebody from that program on trumpet, they bring their, they brought their own horn, you know. So it was great. But but to answer Aaron's question is, it's all about the resources that you have. The hardest part of starting a youth band is the is the massive cost of instruments. That's the absolute hardest most difficult challenge because if you if you wanted to start a brass band a full set of brand new instruments would cost you 120 150 grand you know and that's a massive startup cost so i don't know if it's even realistic to think that you could do that but what you need if you want to be a real traditional brass band is you have to have three tenor horns you have to buy three tenor horns okay you can and, and that's the most costly thing that you can get. Cornets, you can get really cheaply scrounging, laying around in yard sales, you know, on eBay for relatively lower price. You don't have to pay $2,500 per cornet. You need a flugelhorn and you need an A-flat soprano. And from that, you can actually have a brass band. But I know that um, you know, when I started, that we, ex we expanded from one band to two bands. That second band played French horns and trumpets for two or three years. You know, we called it the Triangle Youth Brass Ensemble because it wasn't a brass band. It was a big brass ensemble that played brass band music. Um, you know, but until the, we, it took us the opportunity, we didn't have the opportunity. We, we raised money. Actually, what we did is that we raised $24,000, um, literally my last two years directing the youth band and bought a set of Zeno Yamaha cornets for the for the top youth band and took our old set and passed it on to the brass ensemble. And that's when they started playing on British instruments. And I, I literally, after raising $24,000, I got one concert where I got to hear those new instruments <laughs> before I, I left. I was like, ah, they're all shiny instruments now. They're not a set of Yamaha student model cornets from the 80s, you know? <laughs> and, you know, and then it just, you know, and it just went like we're extremely lucky in Triangle because we actually have three sets of instruments. So all of our brass bands are on British style instruments. The, the top two bands um, are bands are, are full of instruments that we've bought every year. We buy one or two tenor horns um, and fill everything up. But our third band plays on tenor horns that are that are donated by a by a, a member of the Triangle Brass Band who has been stockpiling instruments because she has a dream of when she retires, she's gonna uh, go to her, she has a house in Mexico and she's gonna start a brass band in Mexico, which is spectacularly cool. I think if she could ever pull it off, it would be awesome. But she has an entire set of brass band instruments that's not being used. So she's like, why don't you guys use it with the youth band? And we're like, okay, why not? You know, so when she retires, then our, then our youngest band will go back to playing trumpets and French horns, you know? <laughs> you know, but it's just about whatever resources, whatever you can scrounge around and pull together um, to make it work. It's, you know, every situation is different um, and you never know if you beat the bushes, maybe someone's going to give you 10 grand where you can go out and buy a, a starter set of the essential needs. But, you know, just because you don't have cornets and tenor horns, there's no reason not to start a brass band. Yeah. And I feel like nowadays, um, maybe even harder than when we started ours, uh, you know, Tony, but um, kids are busy. 
it's busy. One thing that COVID definitely um, showed is how busy life can be and how you can just cram something in here and an extra game here and an extra duty here and something like that. Um, and so, you know, being mindful that uh, how you what, how you approach these kids when you schedule and um, we we don't uh, in the end our season didn't start uh really we kind of did auditions around about october and we do some reading sessions in november december maybe a weekend clinic and then we started weekly rehearsals in january through to the competition because as much as i would love to do repertoire and things like that we, we kind of like tony says the, the competition kind of took over a little bit the trip because that's what they want to do they want to do that they want to travel but with all and, and snow days in kansas it got to the point um where it was really difficult for us to do a full season with all the commitments that they had for the marching band and everything like that um so so knowing your school schedules knowing your kids like kind of generally what they're involved in what's the culture of your school districts and things like that that's that's another really important thing um to, to be aware of and just ask around about yeah and that's and a really that's a great point we've we've flat out in our conversations about this we flat out gave up on even trying to do anything in the fall not only because the kids but also all the people like we would want the high school middle school band directors to be as involved as humanly possible that are in our band and of course they're either teching and or doing their own thing and i mean and you know i i agree with you something you said earlier that i wanted to circle back to helen um with the uh with the need for it you know we've got i i realized uh, not too long ago how much how bandy what we can do here is like what my students do my private lesson students it's like audition for the all-state band audition for the all-county band do this youth band do more band in school do that and it's very wind band oriented where they're playing whole notes and half notes and it's just no matter like middle school to high school to college almost all of that literature is equal amounts of difficulty for a euphonium or a tuba or a trombone player and so i feel i feel like there's a training need for a youth brass band like you were saying for our area as well yeah, I don't know if this, you found the same thing, Helen, but around here, like our top brass band is filled with all district and all state, all state players. And it rehearses every single week. But for, for whatever reason, it doesn't hold the same level of status that making all district or all state does. It's the same players and they're rehearsing every week. But, you know, it's not like, wow, you're in the you're in the Watson brass band. Wow, that's pretty cool. Your band director should be like, wow, that's a really cool thing. But they don't. They don't really do that. Because um, it doesn't say the band director's name on their on the program. Yeah, I don't know. You know, like it's it's actually one of the reasons that I that I kind of retired from doing the brass band in 2013 is because I just didn't feel like we had a lot of support from the, the band directors around. And we did everything we could to work our schedule around their schedules. We would never require a kid to be at brass band if they had a band scheduled event they always had to do their home but like we tried to supplement the band experience we had 20 high schools in wake county and only 10 high schools had kids in the youth band program like 10 like like half the program probably didn't even tell the kids that there was a youth band when we would do our recruiting for it so it was, i don't know if you've gotten the same kind of experience about how about getting um about getting high school educators music educators to actually support your program or for me, I was happy when they just didn't get in the way, you know, because the kids would recruit and bring their friends and everything. But, you know, but, that, you know, you can't tell me that this one high school doesn't have at least one good trumpet player in their program, you know, like, like, I know these band programs and they're good. 
you know, so I, I got a little frustrated with that. I was like trying to, you know, trying to get the best players to, to come do this because, you know, you want the best players. Um, and we just, I just didn't feel like there was a, a whole lot of community built around that because all we were trying to do is make players better for their programs, you know, in the process. Is it the same way out there? Like, like figuring out how to get your program to be successful, you know, in and around all the, the youth orchestra that's probably competing for players, you know, they have this night of the week, you know, you really have to figure out where you can fit in when you start. It's not so hard for us now with our youth program because it's established. So it's, it's kind of ingrained in, in what everybody kind of knows what to do. Um, but starting out, man, finding your niche and where you can make it happen, that would be tough. Yeah, for us, we, uh, we're pretty lucky now. We've got a, um, quite a few key band directors um, that are on board and send, send their kids our way. We still have a lot of strong districts, not too far, um, that, you know, they, they're, they're areas here and they tend not to send, send too many kids. And that's fine. It's, it's all good. Any kid that wants to be there um, gets to come there. And, you know, I, I think the biggest thing for us um, was we had a really strong group of eighth graders and we put the eighth graders with the high school kids. And now can you imagine, um, I don't know what your splits are, like so middle school, um, eighth, you're the oldest and you're a pretty keen player at that point. And maybe you're not, you're still playing some middle school literature. And then all of a sudden you get put with high school players. What, even if it's on third cornet or second horn, what a confidence boost that is that you're actually now playing a, rather than being the, big you know they you know a big fish in a little pond you're kind of experiencing that and so um being able to that when when that age range when those seventh and eighth graders that are really pushing strong get put up in with that group they get excited they get really excited and they drag their friends in at that point because and then they come up to ninth grade then they're in high school then then their band director hears about it because their parents know about it and they've been to a national competition and so then the band directors starting start hearing about from the parents at that point and and that little that little moment from eighth grade to ninth grade is a really key uh key recruiting age i feel so what are the what are the the grade breakdowns for each of the bands there aren't any there aren't any okay had <laughs> We had a fifth grader play with our honor band. Did you just do like a cattle call audition? Yeah. And you just place them yeah. where they yeah. Yeah. yeah, we do the same thing. It's skill-based. We advertise our, our program as eighth through 12th grade. Um, it used to be ninth through 12th grade. We just kept it to high school kids because it was so difficult to manage the high school band schedules and the middle school band schedules, which weren't the same. So we just, we just like, yeah, we're just not going to take high school or, or middle schoolers. But then we started the third youth band, which of course is much younger. So then we're like, well, we need to have eighth graders in there. So, um, you know, but we have, you know, we have seniors in high school that play in the lead chairs in the, in the, in the, the lower band. And, you know, and it's just really by talent. It's just the top players go in this band, the medium, the middle players go here. And it does tend to be mostly juniors and seniors in the, in the Watson band. Um, but the second band has a mixture of everything from eighth all the way to, to high school. It's just, it, it, they audition, when you do an audition group, it's, you know, it, it's where they, where they fit where they fit. So well, we do it. Sorry. Sorry, go ahead. Um, 
I just actually a question for you too. Uh, um, so we at the university I teach at, we do a very similar thing with our band camp in the in the summer, right? Because it's a cattle call, and we just kind of place it based off of skill base. So what we do is, is you have one audition sheet where like you have an A line, which is pretty easy, and then a B line gets a little bit harder, C line, and then D line. And then we tell them, go as far as you feel comfortable. Do you guys do something like that when you do the auditions or do they just kind of bring what they want or how do you make that? How do you discern that? Um, for my group, I'll let them play whatever they're comfortable with. Um, it, it rounds around, it sits around the same time as district band auditions. So usually they've got something prepared. I, um, yeah, so usually they've got something prepared. Um, and um, so you kind of get to hear them playing some meteor literature. Um, and usually the selections are at give me enough, something technical, something lyrical, and something that's got something robust. So I can, and they've worked on it. it you, they don't have to prepare something new. I get to see them at the best. Um, I ask them to play a chorale um, because, and it's usually something they all play them, doesn't matter what band it's in, it's a chorale so we can hear phrasing, shape, tone, that kind of stuff, something that they don't have to worry about. So even if I've got a kid that's been playing for six months, a year, they can come and play me that. And all they have to do is maybe play me, you know, Scarborough Fair um, and something out the Essential Elements book. Um, and they can have a successful audition and feel good about the process, you know. Uh, and then obviously, usually there's a little bit of sight reading when we start getting into some uh, some more, um, you know, challenging uh, as we go through the go through the ensembles. Um, but usually, we know a lot of the kids coming in. We know where they're at. We're in contact with their teachers or their band directors that we've seen and we've heard them. You know, you know them after a while when you start going up. Um, up through the groups and and that brings me to a, to a point that I, I just want to kind of just go through again is you know when when you audition a band um when these kids are used to like a ranking list a chair placement list uh, uh, an honor band list boom 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 so this person's here this person's here and they beat out that person beat out that person when you talk about seating people in a brass band that doesn't happen you cannot do it like that and and i have an one of my letters before we post the seating chart is a brass band is not a normal ranking system that you're used to in the united you know states education program every chair has its own stuff and we have to have a balanced team of you know you've got players that have great technique you've got some players that have got great lyrical sounds you, quite often those kids will there's not many that are both of those together and they're your superstars usually they're starting to fall down one of those uh, go down one of those paths at that age so you need to have a second corner player that's got some te technique and, and sound but you also have to balance that with someone that you know can play quiet and lyrical and so so it doesn't necessarily walk, go down that ranking list and 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 same with the bands you know um so that, I mean, that's how brass band literature is set up is to differentiate for your musicians for growth and progress. And so you have to line your bands and seat your bands the same way. Yeah, we we've done the exact same thing. I would I would say that, look, your brass band audition isn't for a ranking. It's an evaluation so that we can figure out what role is the best for your kid in this band or best for the band that your kid will fit into. You know, so, you know, as we grew into to, to a larger group and more than one band, you know, if you were, you know, it was, it was tough to kind of convince kids for a while that, wait, you're really, really good. Your principal solo cornet in the second band, you're not in the top band, but that's a better role for you than sitting third cornet because you have a good range, you have good technique, 
you know, you're going to get a better experience playing more notes and higher, you know, more solos in there. So it's getting, you You know, I would have kids come in and we would, you know, I would hear a trombone player and say like, all right, let me see, he has a good sound and he sounds like he has a good loud. So all right, let me play the loudest low F that you can play. And I'm like, all right, he's going to be my bass trombone player if he can do it. You know, and then we give him a bass trombone, but most of, none of the schools around here have bass trombones, you know? So, so it's like, well, we'll take the tenor trombone and say, hey, guess what? You're going to play bass trombone. <laughs> Same thing for E flat sop. You have them play some high notes and see if they, you know, they can actually, you know, not squeeze their brain out of their ears trying to play up in the upper register, you know, and you just kind of figure it out that, but it's all, it's all figuring out the roles that Helen is exactly right on that. We do the exact same thing here, you know? And our audition process is, is um, we actually, and we did this back when I was doing, they still do the same system today, is we compose a piece that has three excerpts in it. It has a, a technical part, a, an easy technical, or not easy, but a, a manageable technical and a lyrical, and then a third piece that is very advanced for high school. And everyone has to play the first two excerpts. And if you're auditioning for the top group, you have to play all three excerpts. And every instrument plays the exact same solo. So, so it's transposed out and, and adjusted for horns and, and everybody plays the exact same audition piece. So, and when they come into the audition, they play that and then they sight read and that's it. It's in and out. And we crank through them like you, you like, it's unbelievable. They should have, they should have had me scheduling the all district auditions because we could, I mean, I would listen to, to 80, 100 kids in one afternoon. I mean, it was just one after another cranking them through. Um, and, you know, and, it, and it's, it's really good once you get them in the band that way, because you can, the first rehearsal, you can say, every single one of you had to play the same piece to get into this band. You know, so you're, you're all, you all passed the same test. You were in this high school, you're in this high school, your high school band competes with that high school band. It's like, nah, you all played the same thing to get into this band. So you're now in this band. And you get them, you can use that to start getting everybody thinking the same way, right from the very first rehearsal. And it's like, oh, wow, we're doing this. We all had to pass the same test. And it gets, it gets you know, it gets things off kind of on a, on a, on a straight shot right there. Now the audition solos used to be ridiculous. So I had a composer, a, a budding composer, his name was Ted Oliver, and he, and he, I think he actually went to Kansas um, for grad school and studied composition there. And he, he, when he was in high school, he, I would say, hey, can you write me a, a, an audition solo? And he would come out to this thing, and I was like, nobody can play this. And I was like, here, and I would give it out anyways, and the kids would struggle with it and struggle with it. But then they'd come to the auditions and say, thanks for giving me something challenging to practice. And I was like, no problem. <laughs> You know, but it was it was so cool because, you know, it started a thing that actually has worked out to be a really effective way to evaluate kids to get them prepared to play. And then you just have to talk to them about, look, you know, you're sitting fourth chair, but I have no idea what rank you were. You know, I don't know if you were the best or fourth best. It's like because this kid's here, this kid's there and this kid's there is, is just an evaluation. That's all it is. I have I have two questions because I'm I'm starting the process of putting together a brass band, uh, so yeah yay, uh, so what is the end of your what is the end of your season like? So you start doing some some kind of stuff in the fall, um, and then are you done after Nava? Do you go through the summer? What do you do? 
depends when NABA falls. The later it is, the makes it it makes it really hard for us to do much after there before the kids disappear on their vacations. Um, or camps or wherever they, whatever goes on, they get very busy, don't they? Um, it, for the longest of time we had, uh, we would do NABA and then we would do um, like a, a kind of a, a fun concert afterwards. We would do um, a short, we'd, we'd, we'd play, we played the test piece again because a lot of our families couldn't travel and it was before, you know, the, the kind of uh, awesome stuff that they've got going on now to kind of um, people back home can watch. Um, and then we would do a second concert of kind of lighter music, but but things like, you know, maybe a selection off Windows of the World. So that there was a little something that was, you know, not not too much filler and fluff, but also just something light and that we could get going in a short amount of time. When you get to graduations, when you get to all the other sports, you find a lot of people are missing from those rehearsals. Um, and we did that. We did that extra concert for a long time. Um, and that was tough coming off the back of NABA um, and then having five weeks where people were missing, um, things like that. Legitimate reasons life goes on, just where we're at with the nature of, of kind of that, the things that were going on. Um, so, yeah, we, we would normally do a concert. Sometimes we'd have the kids play at the, the Fountain City Christmas concert. Maybe they'll do some um, some pre-show uh, tunes and the foyer or something just to get them going um yeah for a while after that though you know we we don't get paid to do this all the staff are volunteers and you know we when um when lee and i became parents you know there's there's something that has to has to give you know um and so for a while it, it we were pretty much a competition band which is not what I wanted us to be, but to keep the program going, um, that's where we lived for a year or two in that world. Now and then COVID happened and, and we're back reevaluating what we can do, what we're able to do, what our family's able to manage and things like that. Um, so that, that that is another thing to consider when you're setting up your schedule is what, don't overstretch yourself to the point that that it's 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 not gonna be what you want it to be. You know? Yeah, it's kind of important that the director can be there. <laughs> yeah, we when I was doing the youth band, we would start as soon as marching band ended. So we would we would crank up in November. Eventually, I gave up on doing December concerts because it was just it happened too fast. So we wouldn't really do a concert until February. So I would do a February concert, um, and it would be I would always bring in a big name guest artist, and uh, and then we would switch music and start working on NABA. So we really wouldn't touch any of the NABA music until second week or third week of February. Go to NABA and then come back and do a whole nother concert at the end of May. So I was really lucky <clears throat> that um, I was in good with the people that booked the May Mandy Concert Hall. Those of you guys who've been to NABA in 2010, that hall um, is where we did, where I did all my concerts with the Triangle Youth Brass Band. And um, in late, uh, Memorial Day weekend, the North Carolina Symphony starts their Summerfest out in Cary and they move outdoors. So the hall's dark. So I was able to get May Mandy Concert Hall on a Saturday night, which was awesome. So we ended our season in that hall with a Saturday night main event concert in the best acoustical hall in town. You know, and it was really cool to end the season. But here's the thing that, that really made it work um, is we didn't have a lot of rehearsal time, but the first two weeks of May, I always had absences because AP testing happens the first two weeks of May and the kids get 
nuts. They're so busy. They have AP testing on Tuesdays. So they're like, well, kids not coming to rehearsal on Monday night because they got to test the next morning. They had, you know, so it's like, well, you can't schedule a concert during that time because you're going to be missing. But if you go to the end of May, all of you get through all of that, all of, you know, and then they come back and you have two or three good rehearsals before, you know, before you play the concert. So it's kind of like you jumped over it and go all the way to the end of the month. But I only did that because I had a great, a great haul that was worth waiting for and extending the season that far. They don't do it now. They don't go, they go to like, I think mother's day is the end of the season for them now that, you know, so it's, you know, it just depends on what the director, the director wants to do. Like Helen said, like, like the current directors are like, no, this is enough. Can't do any more than this, you know? So they, they're the ones that have to evaluate what they can do. Um, but that's, you know, as long as you can get, get the students, what you think they value are valuable to them, you know, you're on the right track. I mean, what we did when we when we stopped kind of doing that concert, that's kind of when we started putting our summer camp in. So similar to like you said, kind of bridge that that moment of there. And then we would do um we we started um a week's residential up at Missouri Western for two years um to 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 do that. And then that's kind of a pilot to get the groundwork going for the National Youth Brass Band of America. And so that kind of morphed that end of season kind of that we weren't able to do, but we did a lot of that work in the in the summer camp, that kind of week camp, um, which which worked out really well. Cause a lot of the kids that maybe are in the youth symphony um, that couldn't do the breast band season but could do the camp or you know get some new friends in and things like that. And, and that was a that was a real great partnership that allowed us to to bypass those um, tricky months. I think that's a really good transition into talking about the the national brass band camp that that you know that's probably on hiatus because of COVID, but we're where are things, what are the, a quick background of where, you know, you just started with how it started, but where is it and where's, where is it now and where is it going? Yeah, we, uh, we got our inaugural year in, in the books. <laughs> so at least we got one year in, um, you know, it's, um, we were able to um, secure some funding for the composers competition. Um, so in our year off from uh, with everything, we actually focused on kind of getting um, uh, the com uh, the young composers competition going uh, with the winner of that, uh, Connor Johnson, um, who is um, a really kind of uh, up and coming composer, also um, a, a great cornet player up in, he was in Michigan and is now out at, oh gosh, he's just moved, where's he at now? I can't remember, sorry, Connor. Um, but, um, you know, so we were able to, to take some projects there. We're hopefully gonna be recording some of that stuff moving forward. So, we, um, but, you know, to come off an inaugural year with a lot of um, excitement, um, inertia that really needed to push those next three years, that plan, um, that, that, that was tough. That was really tough. Um, and so um, we, um, we're kind of hoping that we'll be able to start back up more residential this summer. We, we hope that the summer 2021 that we were able to get a res residential um, course going. Um, uh, but it was just the numbers were going up too much this summer. And we, we uh, oh, not a residential, an in-town kind of at one school, a commuter camp. Um, we'll probably look to do um, a commuter camp, certainly a commuter summer camp next next year for our Fountain City families and anyone that wants to travel in and maybe stay stay local in a hotel or something like that with families. Um, uh, 
possibly even on campus where we're still kind of talking through that. But my guess is that it'll be a year or two before we're really um, traveling, um, uh, getting people to travel the distance that we had. I mean, we had one of Amy's students come join us and we were really fortunate um, to, to get a, a scholarship um, to bring in some players um, uh, from uh, Oakland University and things like that. And so hopefully we'll be back up to there within a year or two, but we're, we're still just going to keep the option going and see who's willing and able to travel and, 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 and work through that. So that, I mean, it sounds like, you know, the, the timing of that was just awful with COVID hitting and it's just like, okay, well, you had some great momentum. <sighs> Not now. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully what we, we will do is like when there's more clarity in this, probably after the first of the year, we'll, you know, get together and do another podcast about this just to really talk about, I mean, we, we talked for an hour on youth bands and I still don't think we covered anyone near enough. I still have so many more questions. I need help guys. I know. I mean, like, I feel like, you know, there's we're starting the, one soon. Two of the biggest experts in youth banding in America right here, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and we, and we could talk about this forever. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so we probably have to make sure that we come back and do, do a, like, a full thing on this again. Also, I wanted to butt in was uh, Connor Johnson at Michigan State. Was yes. that it? Yes. yes, I just looked him up. So Connor Johnson at Michigan State. Uh, and I found him on social media. So you can follow him at, at Connor Johnson Trumpet. Yay. Plug. That, now we'll have to listen to this so we know where he got all his Twitter followers. <laughs> Those, he's going to have like a million after this podcast, I'm sure. It's quite funny that group of um, of students from the the National Youth Brass Band that came in. They're quite a tight cohort right now, and I have a lot of um, excitement for that group. They've stayed in contact. When I was um, doing the um, the Fountain City Youth Band online, um, and then we ran the National Youth Brass Band online one once once some last summer, um, they came back and helped, or they were willing to help coach some of our kids. And so hopefully that that group of kids um, will just move forward and then these connections will start going. They'll form their own bands, join their own bands and still keep moving forward. So I think there's the conversation definitely starts um, to, to build momentum again. And I like, like you say, I think there's, there's a lot of room um, to, for discussion moving forward. Well, that, that's awesome. So we're going we're gonna to wrap up the episode here. And I think what we traditionally do is end up with a question. And Aaron, I think Aaron has a question for the, for the podcast. Okay. Audience, please. I implore you. I, uh, I am great at improv, but I can only make up so many questions. So please submit your questions in the comments or on the socials. Any question. It doesn't have to be necessarily toward any guest we have, just a question for us. But the one I managed to make up in the past 30 seconds is, um, and we will throw this to Amy first. Oh, what no. is what is a brass band piece that you haven't played but have always wanted to play? <laughs> this one's too easy and too hard. <laughs> <laughs> I can start if you need a moment. Yeah, I, I need a moment. I need a moment. So mine's definitely the, the Peganini variations of Philip Wilby. I, so my whole, my first little taste of brass band was hearing 
on the JMU website, them playing that for NABA in like t- 2003, 2004, and going, oh, that's what a brass band does, and thinking that thing was amazing. And they started the clip on their website with like where the trombones are doing that, and that whole thing. And I'm just like, yeah, this is so, I mean, that just hit the right spot. And I've never had an opportunity to play that. But, so I'm currently working on my DMA and I have to do a chamber recital, and there's a quartet reduction of that for brass quartet that i am absolutely doing on that chamber recital because because of the urge to play that piece amy's still lost in thought tony what do you got uh, we're gonna go to helen on this one Helen's <laughs> probably played everything anyways with all her banding experience i know oh gosh wow um it's really hard. There was a ton of transcriptions um, that Howard Snell did that I never got to play while I was at Foden's. There was a ton of um, stuff in the uh, the old Black Dyke band room that I really wanted to get my hands on and play and see. Um, but honestly, oh gosh, people laugh at me about this. Um, I don't laugh, but it's not like one of the, I don't know. I really, I remember playing the excerpts to uh, Between the Moon and Mexico uh, for one of my, um, it was my, I think it was a year three auditions because um, we have to play brass band excerpts at college. It's, you know, and there's these little books, My Heritage, and you put play them out of there. I really liked it. Um, and I never, I've never played it. And that's, I think that's, that's, that might be one that I'd like to go to, but there's tons. Oh my gosh, there's tons. And keep in mind, this is not the, I'm not asking like the number one on your list. Like it's just a piece that you want to play that you haven't played yet. Not like, it's not definitive. Like this, this might go into the wiki and be in there, but you know, don't, not too much pressure, Amy. All of our fans are going to create that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I've come up with two, uh, maybe three. <laughs> um i remember when i moved to the uk um like i moved in like august and like september before i even like got hooked up with a brass band which means that i never played in a brass band because remember i haven't played in a brass band before i went to the uk so we went to the royal albert hall that fall and we listened to the championships and it was music for battle creek was that year and so there's a part, there's a part of me that, that kind of wants to play that piece just so that I can like, there's kind of like that weird, like I want to transplant myself and like, be like, I heard this and it was such a going, going to see all those bands playing that was such a, an amazing experience for me. Now I want to, to experience that. Um, and then, um, I would like, I think, I think there's an arrangement of this. I'm not entirely sure. I might be wrong, but there's, if there isn't, Hey, people arrange it. Um, I thought I heard something about there being a, on, on a, of a hymn song of Philip Bliss. Oh my God. Yeah. There's an arrangement. There has to be. Yeah. Yeah, There has to be. I would like to play that because hello. Um, my, (laughs) (laughs) related to philip (laughs) um well through i i don't i don't know i my husband never researched it but i have because i'm a nerd like that and uh i was sick of looking at german names through my genealogy so i went through his and his family picks up uh philip bliss right after philip bliss died so i'm wondering if like it jumped like 
like within the family after he died. I don't know, but, but there are three Philip Blisses in a row. Um, so, you know, I, I think that we, and, and my, my mother-in-law passed to me all the Philip Bliss stuff that they have. Wow. So we have, I have an obituary. I have a, a memoir um, that was published a few years after he died. I have newspaper clippings and stuff like that. So I would really like to play on a hymn song of Philip Bliss. So fingers crossed. Uh, and I could provide some, some, uh, some excerpts from that, that book, uh, that I have. Do you think you could get Philip Bliss to grant the rights to arrange it? (laughs) (laughs) Any, through any family connection? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I know that's a joke. It's public (laughs) domain. The hymn is public domain, but the thing that you, that most people want to do is the whole singer version of it arranged. And I don't know what the. The rights right. are for that at this as, point. Right. And as, as a matter of fact, I still have, from when I used to live in, in Philadelphia, um, I have, we're going on a little bit of a tangent, sorry, um, but I have uh, the Philadelphia tag um, for flying out of the Philadelphia Orchestra because it says PHL Bliss and Adam's father passed away uh, uh, about 10 years ago now. So every time I look at the luggage tag on my on my euphonium case, it says PHL Bliss. Oh. So it's kind of cool. So if anyone, you know how sometimes people see like a luggage tag and they take like pride and like ripping it off. I'm telling you now, if you rip off my luggage tag, I will be very, I will be very ticked off. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Reasonable. That's reasonable. Who's next? Uh, Who I, think I'm the, I think I'm the last to go. My yeah. My list, I have three pieces on my list that, that are really at the top of it. Um, every, every year or two, I try to do something with Triangle Brass Band that is way above our head. We've done Journey into Freedom. We've done Harrison's Dreams, Chivalry, um, Pagnini Variations, you know, things that we would never be capable of playing at a contesting level. But it, we, we always manage to get through it and, and have a good time playing some of the really good, serious, you know, advanced literature. Um, you know, but there's a couple of pieces that are just, I think it's just above over our head, bit over our head that we just really wouldn't be able to handle. Tristan Encounters is my number one. Um, I, I, I adore Martin Ellerby's music and that's one of the best. Um, Extreme Makeover, ever since I heard Fountain City play that in Raleigh, it's been one of my favorite pieces of music and I would kill to be able to, well, I'm, talk, I'm not talking playing it. I would never be able to play it. There's too many notes in that. Uh, but conduct it for sure. I could do that. That doesn't hurt nearly as much. That's a actually. Yeah. 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 And and Metropolis 1927 is is the uh, the other one on my list. So. Oh my gosh, I love that one so much. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that those are the three. You might have done a whole CD inspired by that one. You know, just saying. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, so those those are the things that I would I would you know I would love to be able to get in front of and. And, and work on so well that that does that well looks like we're we're out of time we gotta we probably filled up too many gigabytes of stuff here on this so helen thanks for for joining in with us on this yeah. we will definitely Thank have you. to schedule another one in a in a you know about a half a year and, yeah. and dig into some more stuff when uh you know when we're all calmed down from this one 
Yeah. Oh, no, I'd love to. Thanks for inviting me. I, I really enjoy it. And I, I love that so many people are interested in starting bands. The amount of conversations that I've had over the last you know, year or two, people like, I'm thinking about doing this, I'm thinking about doing this. Uh, I will say to anyone that's listening, please email me um, um, if I can help or I'll put you in contact with anyone. Um, I feel really passionately about what the kids can get out of playing in brass band. Um, and, um, and yeah, I, I just love to help. So if um, just let me know if you need any help. <laughs> FCBB.net. That's how you can get up with, with a, what's the website for the youth band? You can email me at um, Helen at fcbb.net. Yeah, and there it is. Well, thank you so much, Helen. It's been fun. We're looking forward to recording with Lee tomorrow night. So oh, yeah. we'll have him on an episode too. And maybe Breaking the maybe, fourth wall. Yeah, maybe <laughs> the next time we'll do do everybody together in one in one big, you know, session. See if we can break the internet with that. At NABA. Yeah, we need we totally need to do a live one.